Welcome back to another Alignment Discussion podcast broadcast meeting of Conscious Creators. My name is Asher. I'll be with you for the next 45 minutes. We have, and you, uh, our guests are always welcome to use their real name or they can be anonymous completely because we kind of get personal with stuff. So it's just wherever you're comfortable with. Okay. Well, my name is Brad. Hi, nice to see you, Brad. There you go. So um, a little bit about our Alignment Discussion podcast. Um, the active participation table is the table that Brad and myself are sitting at. And this table is for those who are electing to actively participate in our alignment discussion. Usually there are between two and four active participants per meeting. Active participants are encouraged to ask questions, to share their unique perspective on the topic, and then to also be open to answering questions from other active participants. Those not seated at the active participation table are invited to take on more of a listening role. Please refrain from commenting or disrupting the discussion. At 11.45, we will open up the discussion and invite the active listeners to share their unique perspective on the topic as well. The purpose of these alignment discussions is to engage in authentic dialogue, to expand upon the conscious creator process, and make it more relatable and helpful for others. Our discussions are uploaded onto the Conscious Creators podcast. And portions of this broadcast may be included in the final edition of the Conscious Creators Handbook. So with that, we'll open it up. Did you want to check in a little bit uh, uh, prior to like what brought you to the table here today? Like, uh, Well, I've been, um, God, where do I start? I mean, <laughs> I, I mentioned I'm unemployed and that's, I think largely because of ageism within my industry. I work in the um, television animation industry for the past 37 years as a storyboard artist. Um, And lately in the past, I'd say out of the last um, four years, I've been able to get less than two years of paying work. Um, I just got laid off from a job and I don't know when I'm going to get another, if I will. Um, And I've formed a experienced workers committee with my local. And I was shocked to find that most of the pushback, well, the problem isn't the um, people with whom, the corporations with whom we're negotiating, the problem is the members of my fellow union. And that's been really disheartening. And I'm experiencing a lot of resentment, even though I know, I mean, I have my various meta prayers. I still find myself rehearsing, um, you know, shaming arguments with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, And I can see that they are reflections of myself. They're coming from their trauma as young people. Um, And they're projecting all their father parent crap onto me. And I'm, you know, doing the same back at them, those little children. Mm -hmm. Um, So I read those pamphlets, actually, well, this is a long story. You may want me to shut up, but... Um, nope. Which okay. pamphlet specifically? Well, the pamphlets and the four pamphlets in that room back there. Yeah. Um, the, the, the trauma, basically the trauma avatar, 
Um, I, there's four of them. I picked up all four of them and I read them as part of my, you know, daily reading over a period of days. And um, they're pretty insightful. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, you know, yeah. I have also flirted. You know, a friend of mine is in Coda, mm -hmm. um, and I find their literature really kind of like makes me really appreciate the Al-Anon literature because the Al-Anon literature is almost biblical in its requirement that you bring yourself to it. Mm. Whereas the Coda literature was just like so on point, you know, they're, they're, they're just like, you know, basically they're telling you everything you need to know right there. And it's like, uh, whereas I liked your um, trauma avatar literature because it seemed a little bit cleaner, mm. you know, it sort of, a, a, it appealed to me as writing. I got you. Yeah. It wasn't so clinical. Well, it wasn't so clinical and jargony. I, mm. I don't know. I mean, you know, I just wasn't impressed with Coda for his literature. Do you have any questions about um, before we we're gonna? Because uh, just for those who are listening at home, have been following up. We've been um, we've been going through a, set, uh, a series of. First of all, we did about. 300 meetings here at Pathfinders prior to the pandemic that were meeting in person with the original material. And then um, when the pandemic went into effect, we stopped meeting in person. And right before the pandemic went into effect, the spiritual practice part of this materialized and started to take hold. And so it kind of took the conscious, it's the conscious creator um, process in a new direction because mm. prior to that what was going on is we had a lot of people that were coming in and really relating because at first what we do is we're just gaining some awareness we're in fact real quick before we jump in i'm just gonna just for everyone at home i'm just gonna read the, we have similar like there's steps in al-anon and there's steps in coda and steps in aa these are like they're called measures but there's this these are the steps of conscious creators so i just want to read them for you i'm sure you read them in the pamphlet mm -hmm. but i'm just going to read them and each one of these steps or these measures has a corresponding fundamental need that it meets. Okay. So the purpose of conscious creators is to basically live in love and truth, spiritual love and truth, as opposed to living in instinctual fear and the need for control. Does that, do you, do you understand? Yes, I understand that. Do you want to bring it into like, a, like uh, how would, how does that relate to like your? Well, one of my, um, one of my, um, one of the people in my Al-Anon, uh, you know, recovery team, so to speak, is a also a member of my business. And he's been in the managerial part of it. And he says that I need to, he's really into Marianne Williamson. He's saying you need to like, you know, cultivate love for the people that really push your buttons, mm -hmm. not, you know, rehearse, rehearse killing them in your head, but rehearse, you know, nurture love for them love them mm -hmm. and the more you can love them that energetically communicates and they you know you know stop you know reacting in hatred so much mm. and i can how do you feel when they say that does, does that I, 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 I think i think you know hating on them does no good for sure and i know i mean one of my one of my survival mechanisms was mm -hmm. always to go into fantasy i can i don't need to go away physically to leave a room you know and i i can i mean i'm a resentment junkie i'm a resentment junkie you know? talk about what that means to you well it means you know i i find myself i just 
ooh, take a hit. And it can be like a 20, 30, 40, 50. I mean, we're still resentful against my dad, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Are there feelings that come up for you when you get into that resentment pattern? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't... Usually Sadness, like, anger, grief. Yeah. Um, I a self righteous certainty of my own moral correctness, but that's not emotion, right? Um, the reason why I ask is in here we've identified twenty one habit patterns or survival patterns that keep us in instinctual fear, keep us in locked in our trauma avatar, mm-hmm. and keep us from accessing spiritual love and truth. In each one of those patterns we do a habit pattern inventory in the Mm. fourth measure and the habit pattern inventory goes something like this when i indulge in the habit pattern of let's say for example acting like a victim Mm -hmm. or being overly reliant on others my life looks like this and when i'm indulging in that pattern i'm 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 validating these core beliefs about myself Mm -hmm. neglecting these fundamental needs and the emotion that i tend to create or, you know, anxiety, fear, depression, like there's emotions that we're attached to whenever we indulge in these patterns. We get an emotional payoff whenever we mm-hmm. indulge in these right. patterns. Right. So that's why I was curious. Well, I, I've, I've decided that indulging in arguing with people who don't aren't there and always winning or remaking the past with what I know now um, as a, you know, prolonged, um detailed fantasy helps me to get away from the feeling of powerlessness of course you know i mean that's that's how i don't admit that i'm powerless over people places and things as i go into fantasy amen you know yeah we call that the personal narrative in here so we create this it's almost like the avatar creates its own virtual reality right. and it's the king of that reality right. and it has complete I can autonomy. always win arguments when I do them in my head. Yeah. Well, you know, I was, I've gotten, I've recently started doing open mic night at a um, jewelry store in South Pasadena on Thursday nights. Um, and uh, one of the other, you know, I see him play the guitar and one of the other regulars, um, you know, he's a senior songwriter, guitar player, and he asked me if I'd written any songs. I said, shit, I have a whole musical career. I have albums of songs I've written in my head that I've never put down on paper, because if I put them down on paper and bring them out into the world, I'll be confronted with the the fact that they're derivative, that the lyrics are kind of corny, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know? And my new friend is actually doing the work of putting his stuff out into the world. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling the more and more often I do these open mic nights, the more and more it'll become clear to me that I actually need to write those songs down and start performing. Mm -hmm. Scares the shit out of me. Sure. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most of them I wrote when I was in my early 20s. And they're songs about being a disaffected youth. Mm-hmm. I'm not a disaffected youth anymore. In fact, one of my goals is to become an elder so that I can be a part of the beneficial functioning of society. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel that, like... being a you know alienated youth is like so old now. I don't want it. 
Well, and for us to be that elder that, you know, it's like the only thing that's guaranteed from this process. And I've been personally engaging the way of the conscious creator for five years. That means actively doing the, the possibility, the alignment and the fulfillment mantras on a daily basis mm -hmm. as best to my ability. I don't do it perfect. It's asked, it's suggested in here that you do between three, you can do up to as many as you want, but do a minimum of three of these mantras for there's, there's for each. So for each survival pattern, there's a new uh, desired possibility that we bring into existence. So mm. I mentioned the one about being um, acting like a victim or being overly reliant upon others. Mm. So the possibility that we bring into existence is becoming personally responsible for myself and also these things that we commit to doing. Mm -hmm. And so that over time, what we do is our brain's very undisciplined. It's just going to get stuck like on that record on the needle. It's just going to get stuck in those grooves. Right. And at first we don't even recognize that these are patterns of survival right. patterns. We think that this is who we are right. and we're just destined to this and we, God's faded us. I don't even realize we're doing it. Not at all. You know, I when one of my first outside helpers and I talked about going into, you know, fantasy, you know, I was like in my early twenties. He said, well, what do you think about it? I go, that's interesting. What do I think about? Mm -hmm. Huh? What do you think about? Well, what I thought about, it would, I, I would beat myself up mercilessly. I like totally embodied my father's voice mm -hmm. and I would take crap from myself that I wouldn't, you know, my dad had said that stuff to me out loud. I would have like, you know, fought back. Um, or, you know, one of my regrets as an Al-Anon, longtime Al-Anon member is I hardly ever get outreach calls and I hardly ever, I've only had a few sponsees and they've all drifted away after a couple of months. But when I do get outreach calls and I do have people beating themselves up for the kind of stuff I would beat myself up, mm -hmm. I go, oh, wait a minute. You know, at least you tried, you know, give yourself credit for that and right. nothing else. And also, well, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, I mean, that kind of thing. And I have to, an Al-Anon friend yesterday said she's started to practice. She's a double winner and she started to practice the same detachment towards herself that she would need to practice towards her relatives, you know, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. qualifiers. And yeah. What you're describing right there is actually, and we'll read these through, but that, that specific thing that you're describing, because in that moment, that person was triggered into their trauma avatar and they were, their father's voice had become their own and they were just right. mentally beating the shit out of themselves. Right. And you were the person that had some degree of spiritual connection right. and you were objective and you were neutral and you were able to come in and be the objective voice of truth. And, and I can do that for myself too. Sure. And that's what we start to build out here. But like, so the seventh, the seventh measure is we commit to acting upon on the insights of a conscious and creative mind. Mm -hmm. So as opposed to an unconscious and reactive and fearful mind, because sure, sure. for the longest time, all stuff for the longest time in our lives, all we were doing, like you were mentioning was just, you know, like, you know, when the doctor hits the mallet, well, I mean, it's like, it's like totally right. automatic. Right. Like we don't have any control over it. The doctor hits our knee and it bounces up. It's like automatically like, like we, we set up and we pattern our lives just so we can fog ourselves. Even if like hiding my keys for myself when I know I have to get somewhere and I'll set them down and I won't pay attention to where I would set them down. This mm -hmm. was years ago. And then I would call myself every name in the book for being such a dumb son of a bitch for, but those are all rituals. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to read um, and read through these. And if you have any questions, the first, the first measure asks us to recognize those habit patterns, which undermine our purpose. And I think you've read the pamphlet. 
and our purpose is to fulfill those fundamental needs. Mm -hmm. And when we're doing that, we're living in spiritual love and truth. Mm -hmm. When we're neglecting those needs, we're living in fear and the need for control. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much that simple. Right. The second measure is to be, we, we begin to cultivate a curious and receptive mind. The third measure, we accept the, and if you have any questions when we're going through this, anything comes to mind, please feel free to just jump right in. Mm -hmm. We accept the possibility of new life affirming experiences. I like that crow outside. The fourth is we gain awareness of our self-defeating habit patterns. The fifth one is we acknowledge the true nature of our self-defeating habit patterns. Six, this is where the higher power starts to come in. It comes in later in here than the first one because mm -hmm. what we're actually doing is cultivating a real um, direct personal experience with this objective spiritual part of ourselves. We call it the consciousness of being. So the human being, there's this being that the consciousness of being is like our direct extension of spiritual love and truth but since most of us are in a trauma avatar we don't have a relationship with it mm -hmm. so we're just asked to have this like belief in it mm -hmm. but we can't feel it we can't experience it and since most of us come from trauma and neglect we've we're always living in our avatar we're kind of always like living in this abandonment we need that spiritual abundance within us mm -hmm. to feel okay mm -hmm. otherwise we're always going to be afraid mm -hmm. and when we're afraid we make poor decisions um so we bring our perspective into alignment with a greater power than self. So our perspective is just our attitude and our outlook. And we do that specifically through practicing the alignment mantras. Okay. So it's a practice that we do every day. And gradually over time, we raise our vibration, our energetic vibration, and we get out of the fear vibration. And all of a sudden, our, we start to live a more authentically in our authentic higher self as opposed to this avatar. Mm -hmm. But it takes, it takes a minute. Some of these patterns took we're wow. decades old. Yeah. And then the eighth one is we create space for new experiences by releasing what no longer serves us. And then the last one is we're going to consciously create new life affirming experiences that fulfill fundamental human needs, mm -hmm. as opposed to unconsciously recreating self-defeating experiences that validate our self-defeating beliefs. Hmm. Okay. So does that confuse um, no, I, it maps pretty well on the, at least the first eight, map on the first eight steps pretty well. They do. And the yeah. nine sort of like is putting the last three steps all together and sort of mushing it, seems to me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess we're, we're, we're more, uh, we're more, yeah, I mean, however your interpretation of it's great. But I mean, for us to um, get to the place where we can consciously, which means we have some awareness of the motivation behind our actions. Mm -hmm. That's the whole, like we, last week we talked about that. It was just like, when we're conscious, we have awareness of what's motivating us. We know if we're fearful mm -hmm. or we know if we're kind of in this place of openness and receptivity. Most of us don't. And by, by the time we get done with the fourth and the fifth measure, after we've done the habit pattern inventory, like, for example, the corresponding fundamental need that starts to get nurtured in the fourth measure, which I'll read again, we gain awareness of our self-defeating habit patterns. That's where we do the inventory. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to the four step. Right. But then as we come out of four and five, we that need to the, the need for security starts to get met. And we have a very interesting need for security. Do you want to read that? It's the number fourth one on the list right there. The need to be free from fear of imagined danger or threat. 
So there's danger and threat that's actually happening. Like we don't have a job or someone's. Hmm. I didn't see this one. That's the, yeah, that's so we have actual danger. Like something's about to bear down on us. There's a lion chasing us. We just lost our job. Our wife left us. Those are all things that would actually be threatening. Mm -hmm. But we imagine scenarios all the time. And when we can get to the place where we can actually recognize when our imagination is taking us into fear, as opposed to something observable, boom, that's fucking a gift. So that's what happens as we start to gain awareness for the first four steps. And by the time we're done with our inventory, we've already done a couple of mantra practice cycles. So we've loosened up our attachment to all those survival patterns. Now we can see that we've created patterns of behavior that are patterns of behavior. They're not who we are. We're not our trauma avatar. What the fuck? I had no clue. Right. So it's really like, whoa. Right. But it takes a little bit and it has to be gradual because what we're up against is our instincts for survival. Right. And our instincts for survival don't want to die. Our instincts for survival are fueling our avatar. And our avatar is just, a, it's like a, it's our idea about ourselves right. in the world. And those ideas, they get energy. We give them life and they don't want to die. They don't want to disappear. They want to keep living. They want to maintain control. But this practice is so gradual. Every little bit, little by little, day by day, little parts of it just kind of go to sleep, and other parts of our authentic self come forward. Hmm. So it's not something that's so triggering that we need to run and go back in the cave and just shut everything down. Right. It's like the army barracks where they come in and they turn the lights on at four in the morning, and the Marines are like, "Fuck you, corporal," or "Fuck you, uh, company commander." Put the lights out. The lights don't really come on that fast. They come on. It's that it. You want to read the eighth need. Um, where are the needs? Oh, right here. So the eighth need. The need to gradually develop towards a more desired aim or state of being. So we can see ourselves. We can recognize that we're evolving and we're gradually developing towards this more desired state of wholeness and joy. Mm-hmm. It's not happening so quick that our avatar is needing to duck for cover and, and pull the rug out from underneath us and right. protect us. Because all it's ever trying to do is protect us. It's not trying to like, we're not self-saboteurs. Right. It's just literally insanely trying to protect us. Yeah. Sounds, sounds good. Cool. I yeah. like it. So we're going to go into reading. And it, I, please, I encourage you because this is all new language. It's like literally like it's a brand new thing that we're introducing. And slowly but surely, you know, obviously if people are striving, because as great as recovery is, a lot of the, 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 the reason why this was brought into existence is that the idea of staying sober or abstaining from something, though it's it's absolutely a requisite to then get into these deeper realms of like um, healing and, and growth, spiritual growth, it's a static goal. Mm-hmm. Being sober, for example, I'm not in Al-Anon, but being sober is great, but it's static. Being recovery, actively participating in recovery, whether that's a recovery of possibility, a recovery of innocence, a recovery of like... Um, potential or self-esteem or any of these things if we're actively recovering that's what this process helps us to do we're not we're not trying to stay in a a position we're actively growing well that's actually um i guess you could say we're well we're ahead of you on in al-anon oh yeah al-anon is like a lifetime program and it's about People re- frequently say, I'm, I'm so grateful to my alcoholic for bringing me here. <laughs> otherwise, I'd never have known about this program. Oh, wow. And the program becomes an end to itself. And what you're talking about is 
I mean, it's the reason I keep coming back. I want to, I want to be the person that I feel like I'm meant to be, you know, and Al-Anon has, you know, been very helpful in that. Hmm. Um, doing TM has been very helpful in that. Oh, okay. Um, outside help. I mean, I've been in one form or another of um, talk counseling since, you know, I graduated from college. So, um, it's all very helpful. This this particular this sounds good too in its way. It's another part of the it's another part of the pie. It's not like a one you know the main thing for me that was like whoa is I'd never considered these fundamental needs. Mm -hmm. I'd always been like compulsively and like impulsively validating this trauma avatar's yeah. identity. I've just always been like creating situations and relationships and work situations where I could walk away being like, I knew that would happen, feeling invalidated. Well, I feel like, you know, the, the same thing about the political situation and people who, you know, drive me nuts politically and that actually goes for you know the people in my guild you know um they're reflections of me you know they're i get mad at them for you know accepting received wisdom and doing sort of like what they're told and letting their buttons be pushed and so then it becomes being programmed. You mean? Well, or I guess you could say that. Um, and I then have to look at how how I'm doing that same thing, and am I doing that same thing? And if I am, how do I stop? And actually, it was one of the things that attracted me about those pamphlets is it seemed to speak to that. Mm -hmm. Let's dive into the reading today. Do you want to? Sure. Okay. Cool. So. Um, the font's a little small. I apologize for that, but uh, I think we both have glasses on. So, mm -hmm. um, what we can do is um, you can read through the first page if you'd like, and then when you have questions or comments or suggestions, anything that I can do that. Because what you're doing is you, this is you've never had. There's four pages, so and it might we we where we we don't have a goal, so we're not like trying to finish these four pages. We might only get through half of one page. But we're going to have dialogue around what we're reading. And then because um, you're someone who's never really interacted with the material before. Mm. And so you get to be like, what, what you could be everything from like, this is really helpful to what the heck does this mean to mm. like be completely honest. Because all we're really trying to do here is be of service. Mm -hmm. You know, we really want to help people get out of their avatars and start living in the spiritual abundance, introducing the concept of spiritual abundance, because we might all never have monetary abundance anymore. We might be moving into a new phase of development. We don't know where the world's headed. A lot of us, like you're mentioning, you're having a lot of people are getting, um, um, what, what's the word? Like we're, I, it's not priced out. Well, they're getting priced out of their housing, but they're also, there's, there's, they're, everything's moving so fast with technology. There's a lot of people that are getting left behind. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think instinctually you're like, okay, now I'm going to go and I'm going to take this urge to create and I'm going to go and I'm starting to do this open mic thing. I'm starting to go like, who the hell am I anyway? Who before all this, and I just got in the rat race and started doing all this stuff. Like maybe there was some unfinished creative desires. Like you mentioned the songwriting and stuff like that, like as creators getting back to our roots and really just living in that and being like honoring where we need to go creatively. But we can't do that if we're flogging ourselves for being a failure because 
things are changing so fast or whatever, you know, we get in our narrative and we just are full of resentment and bitterness and cynicism. And when people start to get, I don't know how old you are, but like I'm pushing 50, when we get to our age, a lot of people have started to make up their minds about some pretty important stuff and they haven't realized that they've done that. And when they started, to, when they've made up their minds about the way the world is or how, how they are, they stop living in possibility. They start living in impossibility mm -hmm. and they start, they don't realize they've made those decisions. They don't realize that they've become like s kind of set in their ways. So they don't, they don't even know that at all, but th then the world stops to feel a certain way. It starts to feel more, they feel that it, they just start to give up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And we don't want that. Mm -hmm. We want to create a renaissance for people. And this is especially for people who are like my, like our Well, age. I'm 62. And um, I, one of the reasons I stay engaged with my guild is because this problem you're discussing is a big problem in society. And it's just going to get bigger. I agree. You know, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And especially since life and extending technologies improve, people are going to be dying less and less and less. There's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot more people over 50, mm -hmm. you know? And so society needs to figure out what we're going to do with that. Because mm -hmm. we all can't just magically go away. No. Make room for yeah. young folk. Right. Well, it's not even young or old, but the ones that are going to be dialed more into that. Cause it's like, our trauma avatars have been creating a virtual reality within the earth. And now our trauma avatars are creating a virtual reality within the virtual reality. Like, you know I mean, now everything's going into this other thing that's like technology based, but it's another version of what we've all been creating with our businesses and our whatever. I mean, you know, before we came along, there was just this earth with like fish and animals and stuff. And we, the, the basis of this, to give you a little context, conscious creators is bringing forth the, 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 the idea that, at the end of the last ice age, 13,000 years ago, a bunch of like traumatized people that we call it the trauma virus, but a bunch of people dug themselves out of the Northern ter territory when the ice caps started to rescind and they all started to migrate South. And those were people that had a very different idea of a higher power. Their idea of the gods was more the old Testament version of the gods, very vengeful, a uh, God that would spite them, that would forsake them, that would cause them to cannibalize people they loved, that would cause them to commit incest to keep their bloodlines going because they were living in the ice age. They were not living in, so to speak, like um, the fertile crescent, you know? And so when those people started to come out of, dig themselves out of the ice age as the ice caps rescinded over, you know, many, many, many generations all of a sudden they started creating different agricultural practices. They started digging, putting all the land under cultivation. They started stockpiling food. They started stockpiling people and they started to expand so quickly because their survival instincts, they never got out of instinct mode. Mm. And so and that carries all the way over to like the story of Cain and Abel. It's like, so Cain could have been all the people from the North coming down into the Fertile Crescent and they kind of bumped up against the, uh, the Semitic herders. They might not have actually been brothers, but they might have been brothers, brothers within the, the consciousness of mankind. And Abel was more of that the, the tribes, the Semitic tribes that were in the, 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 
the Fertile Crescent at that time, they were more pastoralist. It was like a hybrid of like um, the hunter-gatherer, but it wasn't agriculturalist. Right. And but the clan, the clan, like the the they came people. The, the people that came down to the north, they were definitely agriculturists. And so Cain was actually killing Abel. And the reason that why Cain's offerings were never really accepted by God is because Cain was coming from a place like instinctually fear and they were waiting for the next ice cap and it was never enough. And they were just not in harmony with that higher power. Mm-hmm. And so, and they killed, they slaughtered Abel, they slaughtered the pastoralists and they've been kind of expanding ever since. Mm-hmm. And so that's the trauma virus that we are still dealing with today in our own unique ways. Mm-hmm. So that's, and so basically what we're just kind of bringing that back home and just talking about that right now with the traumas role. Okay. You can go ahead and read. Okay. Traumatic experiences are the root of addiction and hopelessness, as well as the drive for power and prestige. The trauma effects of trauma are equally opportunistic as evidenced by those who jump to their deaths from the golden gate bridge and the tires of high finance. The effects of trauma speeds spread like a virus. The trauma virus has been wrecking havoc on humanity for quite some time. These effects include inability to sustain healthy bonds with others. Living life in the absence of loving connections can cause us to become attached to mechanisms ranging from sex and drugs, from drugs and sex to money and power. We attach to things things because trauma has stunted our capacity for connection. You want to just like, is there anything like that kind of speaks to, did you read the attachment addiction? Uh, yeah. I mean, I have, I've read this before. I read this in the pamphlet as a matter of fact. Oh, this, this specific that thing. Specific um, paragraph. Oh, okay. All two right. Paragraphs were in one of the pamphlets. Yeah. in the trauma in the, the attachment addiction mm-hmm. pamphlet. Okay, cool. Um, go for it. Um, those who have been traumatized often distorts, distort expressions of love into a destructive, destructive projection. Each generation has projected their limited and destructive concept of love onto the next. This conscious ritual begins when we are too young to either recognize or repel these offerings. We often accept the unconscious creations of those who came before us and pass on these destructive ideas to our own children unknowingly. So what we're saying there is like when I was speaking about like all the way back to the last ice age, like we've had these rituals that we've been engaged in. We've, been living in this instinctual fear and anticipating whether it's you know now we're anticipating world war whatever or it was coronavirus or it was the cold war it was world war ii it was hitler it's always been this external threat that's bearing down on us that's going to unify because if people who are in instinctual fear the only thing that can unify them is an external threat right so we're just basically saying that that's been going on, whether even if it's a family, the Hatfields are threatened by the McCoys. There's always been some kind of external threat that unifies fearful people. Right. That's all. Okay. Um, you want me to read a little bit? Sure. Okay. We often accept the, oh, I read, oh yeah. We often accept the unconscious creation of those who came before us and pass on these destructive ideas to our own children unknowingly. Impactful experiences often happen in moments of development between a child and their caretaker. The child's well-being is often compromised through a direct direct violation of trust. Survivors of trauma often see their own child's expression of love as a threat. In these instances, the the traumatized attempt to share a trauma-corrupted love with their own children, much as their parents had done with them. This generational initiation is the mode by which the trauma virus survives. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
While researching the history of trauma in some of our families, we have made some discoveries. In many cases, the trauma occurred around the same time in our own development as that of our parents or caretakers. To relate in an unfortunate yet familiar way, these people unconsciously shared their trauma-distorted concept of love with us. Can you relate with that at all? Or do you have anything um, that comes tied? Well, um, I don't know about my um, parents' trauma history. Um, but um, I, I assume, I can assume no reason for that not to be the case. We'll read the, you want to read the example and then maybe it might go for it. Okay. For example, at age 13, a member's mother was sexually abused by her father and effectively abandoned by her mother who looked the other way. Her own daughter started acting out when she turned 13. The mother and stepdaughter, stepfather became intolerant of her emotional outbursts and abruptly replaced her in foster care. Care. Thus, she effectively abandoned her own daughter at the same age that she too was abandoned. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I when I was age twelve and I got into seventh grade, I was. I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. My family was real outdoorsy. I was the fourth of six kids, and I was the indoor introvert who liked to watch TV, whereas my dad liked to go hunting, liked to, um, we did shit like, um, when I was 14, we built a sailboat out of a 14, um, 18-foot sailboat that hinged in the middle so it could be hauled on a trailer out of plywood and fiberglass, and the family sailed down the Yukon River from Whitehorse to Dawson. Wow. The summer of 1974. That sounds I amazing. Was, I was my father's <laughs> primary caregiver. I'm primary, bleh, primary flunky. What's and, that mean? I mean, he was out <clears> in the garage working on the boat, and I was the one who like helped him get this tool, that tool. You know, I I was the one who play, painted the fiberglass on the inside of the keel or the 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 bow, or the the front. That sounds like front. a great experience. Did you yeah, enjoy? Well, it? you know. Or were I, you just trying to help out because you're a good Al-Anon? No, I was helping out because I had no choice. Oh, gotcha. At one you. point, I, you know, I was telling this to one of my outside helpers, and she said, oh, my God, I wish my kids had had that experience. And I said, I wish I had, too. I was so resentful that I was hardly even there. Mm. My father used to call me passive-aggressive because I'd, like, you know, be there helping out, but I wouldn't be paying attention, you know, and I'd do a crappy job. Um, Begrudgingly. Begrudgingly, resenting mm. it. Yeah, you know? and kind of like Cain, like with his offerings to God. Like, well, yeah, I mean that, that 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 that's interesting because I've been listening to I've been I've started um, studying the I guess they call it Pasha with the, like the studying the Torah. There's a um, a rabbi in West Hollywood who does a weekly Parsha portion, and um, and then I'm also into um, Jordan Peterson, who's like a public intellectual who's been parsing the old testament from a Jungian perspective so what's in there is just like yep got it got it understand it totally totally okay. um, um and so my father his father was a sheriff in a small town in kansas who you know his his uncle who he never met died as a fighter pilot in world war ii i mean I, god knows what kind of trauma yeah. my father and my father's older brother went to his children in lawrence kansas yeah god or knows. not lawrence kansas 
whatever, I forget. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'll never know because, you know, I guess I could talk to my uncle John, but dad died in 1984 from his third heart attack, mm. you know. So um, mom's hard to talk to these days. Um, mom's still alive. Mom's still alive. She's 93. Wow. I'm going to be going up and doing caretaking with her this summer. Is she in Anchorage still? Yes. She still lives in the house we grew up in. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, so yeah, okay. Oh, but you were going to the story, and what came to mind for you, just to bring it back, was that, uh, so you had this boat that you put together, and that you were helping him, but helping you were him doing, put together, and you and hadn't really would, finished that. And we finished it, and we sailed down the Yukon from Whitehorse to Dawson. You know, and it took about, it was about a month, like, because the, the sailing part of it took a, took a week. And then our house, our car that we were towing the boat with broke down in some podunk town like New Talk or something like that. And so we said to spend a week waiting for the parts to so we could repair our car. And then we ended up having to buy no another, AAA then, huh? Right, no AAA <laughs> then, not like in the right. wilderness. That's amazing. Um, you know, and looking back on it, I treasure the experience at the time. It was kind of like Rekka Frekka Mecca Schmecka, you know. What's that mean? I mean, it's, <laughs> that's um, an interesting expression. I mean, you know, like an old Warner Brothers, uh, Hanna Barbera, like where the Rekka Frekka Mecca Schmecka. Oh, I gotcha. Right. Um, no, I. My, one of my regrets, and actually, um, is that I never went on any of the hunting expeditions with my dad and my older brothers. I mean, I didn't want to kill, but I could have gone, you know, and been a helper mm -hmm. um, and been ex experienced that, but I never did. And I think it was sort of like, you know, I was never asked to. Mm. Um, my old, one of my next older brother was one of my best friends and he was like a real athlete. And one, I, I, I could cross country ski, but I could never got to hang a downhill skiing. So one time, he took me up on the chairlift and I ended up skiing down the whole mountain on my butt, you know, and Robin never took me on the chairlift again. I mean, just sort of like, um, and I regret that. I regret not having the person being the person who could have done those things. Mm. And, um, well, I, and, and when I hear but, that, then I'm like, oh, cause I can relate. Like I have a lot of songs for a long, you know what I mean? Like, Living in that, like having the fear, one of the, the mantras in, in the work is allowing, you know, that fear to keep us in creative and completion, allowing us, keeping us from, from taking the action, keeping us from going on the ski way, keeping us from doing these experiences that help us grow and expand mm -hmm. because we're locked down in fear of like the what ifs based on something else that happened before. Because a lot of us are just really sensitive. And mm -hmm. so once something happens, we get our hand burned doing something on the stove, for example, it's the stove of life, for example, then we create a, like a, like we have that as an impression and we're, we're very like on guard about other things that could make us feel vulnerable like that. And so we just want to cut out a lot of things that made us feel that feeling. Cause well, it's, it's interesting that you raised the, uh, touching the hope, hope, hope stove metaphor. Cause my father was definitely a, follower of the hot stove school of learning 
Just touch it. And well, yeah, his attitude was, you know, he he didn't he, he we were free range kids, not like the kids today. You know, it's like with the helicopter parents. Right. You know, he had mom and dad had six kids, so you know, even if they wanted to, there was only a certain amount of that they could have done, and they didn't want to. They were philosophically opposed to it. Yeah. So. I did a lot of, got a lot of hand burning lessons, so to speak. Which I think there's a lot to be said. For well, that. I'm totally, I'm so grateful. But it's what we do with those. Right. But I'm not, I'm not saying don't burn your hand. I'm saying go ahead and do it. Like right. fall down. I, I, I feel sorry for kids today because they seem to have been raised by parents who never wanted them to feel any pain. Right. And so now they're like in this, like, you know, I mean, I went, I'm, I'm gay, and I went to the queer tag. Um, one of the queer tag meetings. It's like a, a, a committee at my guild. And um, I thought they'd greet me as like, you know, the, the wise elder come to show them the way. And instead I found out later that I was barred from ever attending again, hmm. you know, and one of the barred from attending barred your from own attending guild. Que- yes. No, barred from attending the queer tag committee of my guild. Huh? Did you find out why? Was um, it- oh, we're still on. waiting got- on that. One sec. I got it. Go ahead. We're still waiting on that. I mean, this has been in because right now were, were you the only gay uh, of your siblings, the only one that was. Oh yeah. Well, I, I have a youngest sister who I suspect she's asexual, okay. but I don't know what she is. Because um, that's it. I mean, and that's something you had awareness of from a very young age. Because there's oh, another. I, I had aware. I was aware of it when I was being peer abused in junior high and seventh grade. I was aware. You know, because by that time I'd had my first crush. Because you know? there's a member, one of our core members, uh, who you'll meet at some point. He's traveling right now, but his name's Michael. And uh, he grew up on a farm in basically like upstate Minnesota, which is, you know, it gets cold and it's very, you know, but Sounds he from very, the age, from the age. Very, um, yeah, very. Um, and his dad's a truck driver, right, like right. a do it yourself guy, a very similar story to what you're saying, you know, like, and, and, you know, just him growing up with his siblings and him knowing he was gay and then living in a town where he was the only person that he knew of that was gay. Right. I mean, that's a, you know, you had, there's a certain thing that like he had to do, which is, I related to, like, I'm not, I'm not, I, I wasn't dealing with that, but I was dealing with a father who taught at the war college, who played college football, who wanted me to be a cop, who wanted me to play football. And I was like an artist and a musician. And I had to basically closet that part of me because he didn't approve of me. He wanted me to do these other things, which caused me, which propelled me or compelled me to unconsciously go join the Navy and become a cop in the military and go in the Gulf War and do all these things based on like this weird thing of me needing my dad's love or approval. But it's weird when we start to turn away parts of ourselves that are like fundamental parts of us that we have no choice over, like our sexuality or my need to be an artist. Well, the shame's born in that moment. We're protecting, we're hiding something from ourselves because we're feeling like it's not going to be received or appreciated by others. And that's the birth of trauma for a lot of us. Sure. And so, you know, in that moment, once shame's born, once any of those emotions are born, that's an emotion that's strong enough to disconnect us from our essence, disconnect us from that spiritual love and truth within us. That part that what we talk about the consciousness of being being what we are, who I am is Asher Gray, who I am is this authentic self, who I am is someone who lives in Echo Park and comes here and works at Trader Joe's and does all these things. But what I am is I'm spiritual love and truth. That's what I am. And when I sever my connection to that, and then I'm just that floating trauma avatar, 
Well, no wonder that's an unfit guide. That's an inadequate guide. That's never going to help me hit the mark. I'm never going to hit the target. I'm never going to be whole and joyous as a fragmented trauma avatar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So wait, let's go ahead and at least finish. I think the trauma avatar thing is at the end of this page. Do you have anything you want to share on that before? Because we have about eight minutes before people start piling in here. Okay. And so I was going to say, um, look, I think we are at the looking at this. Why don't you read that part? And then we'll just switch the last three paragraphs. I'll read the second one. You'd read the last one. Okay. Um, looking at this, there are several beliefs the mother's childhood trauma might have led her to develop. One could have been that her, when children turn 13, they can't be trusted sexually around men. Another might be that no grand, grown man can be um, trusted around um, uh, her teenage daughter. So she made a choice. Yet another belief might have been that a child turned when a child turns 13, there's nothing more a parent can do, so she might as well be on her own. Any such experiences and subsequent beliefs formed from those experiences could lead any of us to act in similar ways. So then it switches up. Uh, hardened criminals sitting behind bars have absorbed some of the worst traumas known to man. Homeless people who wander the streets uttering their fragmented thoughts have been equally affected. The bankers on Wall Street, driven to acquire at the expense of a nation, are also trauma survivors. None should be judged. They are all effects of a cause that we share the collective burden of addressing. If the, sa if the same time and energy were invested into healing our trauma affliction at its internal cause rather than external effect, we would have then been able to thrive at epidemic proportions. If the resources that are currently invested into the war on whatever were redirected into helping a child in their moment of trauma, there would be no place for addiction, jail, or suicide. Cool. So we'll just stop with trauma's rule today. Um, and then next week we'll get into source point moments. And then the last section, this is just the first measure. And then the last section is obviously, uh, that's going to be my experience. Um, just, you know, how... Um, at the end of each, because I've gone through this process and I've been someone who's been kind of a shepherd for the last 15 years. And so at the end of each section, there's this part where I'm just interacting with and I'm giving my experience on the measure. You know, each person's going to have their own experience with it, but at least as a guide, someone to help them, like a kind of a built-in sponsorship thing. Mm -hmm. So do you have anything you want to close with? How was this experience for you? Um, well, it's very interesting. It's it, it, interesting in seeing higher power work in my life i mean yesterday i was in a zoom webinar on being your authentic self at work and building workplaces where people can be their authentic selves mm -hmm. and um what you're saying about you know feeling like parts of you wouldn't be appreciated so you closeted them mm -hmm. is something that I mean, the guy doing the webinar was saying, oh, okay, how many people have um, hidden some part of themselves at work so they can fit in better, you know, mm -hmm. a show of hands type of thing, you know, um, about, I don't know, I, I think they're lying, only about 30% of the people said yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's still I, a big percentage of well I I, I I and I think that's ludicrously small I think everybody does that 
I just think a lot of people don't have any awareness that they're and they don't have they don't even aware they're doing it. They're so in denial about what's going on with them that they just that's who they are. And right. so that's part of this thing is like really it's like opening up uh that's why we just kind of move we we dip our toes in this and then we move right on to the second and the third measure because people can only handle so much of this mm -hmm. because they feel like they're opening up a pandora's box they got to get immediately into the practice after their awareness is like oh shit i've been living in fear there's there's you know like we don't even get into the trauma avatar none of that stuff until the later measure until we're talking about the habit pattern inventory all we're doing is just saying look like you know you there's you know we either we're, we're born in this world to create we're either uh consciously creating or unconsciously creating mm -hmm. and you know we're we're either loving our lives and or we're fearing our experiences mm -hmm. and so we're just basically bringing awareness to like if we're someone who's an unconsciously creating from a place of fear well i mean that's going to yield different results than someone who's consciously creating from a place of love because they have a real connection to a source of spiritual love, not like this belief in something or a placebo, mm -hmm. but they actually gain access to it. The only way to gain access to it is to intervene upon those patterns that feed the trauma avatar, put them into a state of dormancy like you would arrest addiction to like a drug or a substance or another person. And then once that mental space is created, we can start to spiritually reconnect. And once we spiritually reconnect and we start living in that fullness, well, then those become obviously patterns of behavior and we don't need to protect them anymore. But until that point, that's very much who we are and we're very much instinctually protecting it as if it was life and death. Okay, well, my question to you is, okay, so what now? I've come here for 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 this. Mm -hmm. You say that there are practices. Mm -hmm. I assume, I hope that you will tell me what those practices are. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, in order in order for uh, an individual to begin to to create that mental space, like what's open? Where's the pamphlet at? People are going to come in in just a sec, but like, so in order for a person to begin to cultivate a curious and receptive mind, as opposed to like a cynical and reactive mind or a fearful mind or a dismissive mind, whatever mind they're usually coming in with, because they've been living in fear for so long, in order for that to happen, they need to accept the possibility of new life affirming experiences. So in that is a set of possibility mantras that a person begins to, to, to practice on a daily basis. And so there's 21 possibility mantras that are each introducing that person's mind to a new possibility. Mm -hmm. And the possibility is the opposite of the survival pattern. Okay. And where do I go to see those? Mantras? I could email them to you. Okay. Yeah. Cause we're building the book right now. Okay. And so what I would do is I would just send them, send that section of the book to you and you could start to, um, if you had any questions or whatever, 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 you know, I'll give you my number, obviously, and we'll, you can just start doing the practice. Okay. And if you have questions that come up, it's really good with the possibility um, mantras to also be doing some sort of stretching or something active because it creates a mind body connection and makes the neural connections better. So there's a little bit of a process to it, mm. but it's a, even if you just have like five pound dumbbells at home and you can do some bilateral stimulation or you can just be like stretching your lower legs while you're learning. Cause you're literally learning a script. Mm. You're introducing your brain. Cause what, here's, here's the, here's the thing with, with this, when someone has already accepted the idea, that they well i'll use this example because it's in the book they've 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 accepted a belief about themselves that they're ugly mm -hmm. 
And then someone says, well, why don't you're not ugly? Go look in the mirror and tell yourself you're beautiful. If that individual who's already accepted fundamentally the idea that they're ugly, they go in that mirror <clears throat> and they start to tell themselves they're beautiful, their trauma avatar is going to activate, their instincts are going to activate, and they're going to cause that individual to dissociate or to deflect that possible, that, that, that suggestion. Does that make sense? Yes. So first, what we're doing is we have to make the brain neutral. And we do that instead of saying, I am beautiful, say, I accept the possibility of being beautiful. I accept okay. that being beautiful is now possible for me. I accept, okay. so, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I just love being beautiful r rather than thinking I'm ugly. Right. So, and so that's all the possibility mantras are and they work for everything. They work for someone's like, I was able to be relieved of the cigarette smoking thing by saying, I just love singing rather than smoking. I just love being a singer rather than a smoker. And after doing that for a couple of months, all of a sudden I started writing music and I haven't had a cigarette in five years. Because God's not necessarily here to like have us stop doing bad things, but the higher power is very interested in helping us grow and expand. So if the cigarettes is getting in the way of me singing and having a fuller voice and being more communicative, well, then I'll like it'll I will have that defect of character removed from me. But I'm aiming my I'm concentrating and I'm aiming at the the fulfillment of a fundamental need rather than just trying to stop something. All right. Does that make sense? Yes. So we're not like resisting hate. We're embracing love. Right. right. Totally. Totally. So that's it. So all you got to do at the end is um, uh, uh, I need your email and your phone number and I'll email you the stuff and I'll, I'll text you and we'll exchange numbers. And then if you have questions, you feel free to call me. Sounds fantastic. Cool. Awesome, Brad. Thanks for coming down and hanging with us for an hour. Can you got anything I can write this down on or you want to write it? This? No, you want my phone number. Oh, yeah. 